You know, folks, we, we've been going through First Peter. This is our 16th message. So if you figure that's about four months, this will be four months worth of teaching here. And we've been talking about basically living as believers in this world, recognizing that we're just here temporarily. So Peter would use the term that you are a pilgrim or a sojourner. You're just here temporarily. And he's been trying to instruct his readers, and, and we're looking at it to instruct ourselves in how do we live in this world? How do we live while we're here? How does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And what do we do while we're waiting to go to be with Jesus? And one of the things that he has talked about throughout his letter so far, we're going to look at chapter 3 today. We're looking at verse 13 through 17. He's mentioned this several times. In fact, the way he talks about it, you can, if you, if you aren't aware of it, you can just kind of blow by you without really thinking about it. But he talks about suffering being a part of our lives. In fact, I, I was actually reflecting on this today, this thought when I was studying this passage. He actually refers to it a couple of times as we're called to this. Right, did you grasp that? He says we're called to suffer. I mean, that's, Whoa, did he really say that? Yeah, he says it several times in this book that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to suffer. Now, now, if we would just digest that for a moment, so let's, let's just digest it for a moment. Just kind of let that sink in. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. I don't like that. Do you like that? No, no, I mean, I, mean I, I don't like the thought of suffering. But then as I was thinking about it a little bit, you know, I've been a believer now over 33 years, going to be pushing 34 years here soon. And I can remember as a new believer facing the reality of life, and that is everybody suffers. But I can also remember going to church as a young man and remembering preaching, pastors, people discussing among themselves, trying to understand why we suffer. So this is back in the 80s. Okay, so we're talking 30-some years ago. Among Christian circles, we talked about suffering, trying to understand it, coming to grips with it. Then something changed. All of a sudden, the teaching changed, and you never heard anybody talk about it again, ever again. And, I, and I've gone back, and I've looked, and we didn't spend time talking about suffering because things were going great. Things were going wonderfully economically in our country, and, and, and suffering didn't enter into our, even into our thinking because we developed our own thinking that maybe God, what we're supposed to be is blessed until 2008 came along, and Guess what entered into our lives because of the economy? Suffering again, right? So we had to wrestle with that again. And so we're still wrestling with that. But we're still tainted by our thoughts of that we shouldn't be going through this. In fact, I'll be honest with you. If you're using the bulletin, you'll notice the first section is, is that we're caught off guard. I mean, that, that would be the exact thing that happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you when bad stuff happens. Like, let me stop for a moment. Is anybody ever prepared for the bad stuff happening? Is anybody ever prepared? Are you prepared for the phone call? 
Are you prepared for the text message that comes and tells you that something... I mean, are you prepared for the letters that show up that you wish... Like, why did the, why did the postman bring that one? Did you know what I'm saying? We're not prepared. We're caught off guard. And so I want to make a couple of points here before we look at what Peter is saying because I think this is so important to us. When we face it, and by the way, you're going to face it, okay? Just trust me on that one. I'm 52 years old now. You're going to face problems. There is no existence for anybody in this world without problems. Everybody agree with that? Okay. As far back as I can think, there's always been problems in my life. Far back as you can think, there's always been what? Problems in your life. Nobody, you didn't want them, you didn't ask for them, they just happened. What's going on here? Folks, I, I was thinking about this in Genesis with a curse. When he says to them, you got to work now by the sweat of your brow. I mean, life is hard. This is the world we live in. It goes all the way back to when our forefathers, what, sinned. We live in a cursed world. So here's what I want you to see. Here's the first point. When it comes to facing difficulties, we assume that God is mad at us. When it comes to facing difficulties, we assume that God is mad at us. You say, are you sure about that, George? Yeah, think about it. Think about the last time you went through whatever you went through. What's one of the first thoughts you had? God, what did I do? What did I do? In fact, here, let me, let me just stop for a moment because i got to talk about Christians, okay? Is it okay to talk about Christians for a moment? Okay, because here, here's what we Christians do, okay? Boy, I wonder what they did to deserve that. You ever said that one? Notice the two Ds. There's two Ds in that statement. What they did. So what did they do? And the second D is deserve. Where does that come from? That comes from this assumption that when we go through difficulties, God must be what at us? I'm going to tell you right now, the testimony that I see in Scripture is that God is not mad at us. God is actually weeping. Because this is not what he intended for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not what he intended for us. He did not intend for us to go through the suffering and the difficulties that we're going through. That's not what is going on here. What's going on here, if you're listening to me, is because sin entered into our world and you live in a fallen world of sin where people do wrong things, where disease exists, and things decline. But here's the problem. The problem is, is we assume that because as we, if we're Christians, everything should be hunky-dory, smelling roses, wonderful, birds singing. Every morning is supposed to be sunshine shining on you all the day long. Isn't that what some preacher told you? And when bad stuff happens, God must be mad at you. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a lie. 
You need to grasp it. Don't ever tell yourself that God is mad at you. Why do we think that way? Because we're caught off guard. Because we assume, we assume that bad stuff shouldn't be happening. In fact, that's my second point. We tend to believe that everything should be perfect for the believer. We have embraced some sort of prosperity theology that everything should be good for you. Okay, so you're in a marriage. If you, I mean, if you forgive yourself for the moment when you were, before you were married, thinking about how wonderful marriage was going to be, and you were like anticipating marriage, that's what young people do, right? Woo, get married, everything's going to be Then you get married and you realize that that was not Accurate thinking. It's a nice way of putting it, right? But yet you go to church or you listen to the radio and everything that's portrayed to you is about perfect, perfect, let me use the word perfect, Christian marriages. And about that's what God wants for your life. But then you look at your marriage and it's not what, folks? Perfect. Why? Because you're not perfect. And your spouse is not perfect. We've adopted this thinking that everything should be perfect for the believer. And when it's not, and when there's difficulties, and folks, if you're married, there are difficulties, right? Right? You put two people together who've lived all their lives up until that point as independent, single people thinking for themselves. They are selfish, and you put them together, they're all of a sudden supposed to be perfect now? That that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lifetime of a marriage to deal with that, right? We get this thinking that everything should be perfect. It's, It's a form of prosperity theology that... If, if I'm a believer, everything should be great, and if, I, if it's not going great, I must not have enough faith, and so therefore I'm deserving what I'm getting right now. That's, that's so much a lie. Here's the truth, folks. Two things. Number one, God loves you, and if he saved you, you're his child. And number two, you still live in a fallen world where suffering exists where pain is real. And that's reality. So the question, though, is not that we spend our time trying to figure out what went wrong, if God's mad at us, and why isn't this perfect. The reality is is that we need to spend our time asking God, God, how do I function in this world? Because suffering does happen. Difficult things do occur. Horrible things happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Horrible things happen. How do we function? How do we deal with that? The Bible has a lot to say about that. Because if you want to write this down, the Bible doesn't address why suffering happened. It assumes that suffering will happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible doesn't address necessarily why suffering happens. It just assumes that suffering happens. That's a big assumption in the Bible. Why? Because when you get all the way to the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about when we go to be with Jesus, he'll what? Wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness, no more death. The former things have passed away, it says. 
So what do we do with this? Well, let's look at this passage together. It's actually the beginning of a whole section on suffering. We're going to spend a couple of weeks here. But hopefully it will be an encouragement to you and I. Because I know for a fact, because I struggle with it too, that for a lot of us, when we go through it, immediately we start thinking, is this some sort of punishment? Is this some sort of punishment? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Is this, are you mad at me, God? Are you mad at me? Are you not hearing me anymore? We wrestle with that. Everybody agree with that? I don't know if I should, George. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, right? Look at what he says. We're looking at verses 13 through 17. He says this in 1 Peter 3. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, having meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now here's what we're going to do with this passage, folks. We're going to talk, first of all, about perspective. We're going to talk about having a perspective of suffering. I, you know, there's a, there's a preacher that I sometimes listen to. His name is John Piper. He's very... He's getting older now. He pastored, he's from South Carolina, but he pastored of all places in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Think about that, a South Carolina boy going up through all that snow. And uh, he talks about that we need to develop a theology of suffering. We need to develop a, a, a belief system that understands suffering. And, and that's really what Peter's going to talk to us about here is that you and I need to have a perspective on the suffering that happens in our lives. So that we can, number one, be understanding about what's going on in our lives, but also be understanding about what's going on in the lives of other believers around us. So we need to have a perspective. We're also going to see that he's going to talk that out of that perspective, you need to know how to respond. You need to know how to respond to the suffering that happens in your life. And folks, it's a continual response. Because like I've said before, does stuff happen all the time? You better believe it. Difficult circumstances, painful things happen continually, right? And we need to know how to respond to it. So let's look first of all at the perspective. We're going to see it in verse 13 and 14. Here's the first one. He says this in verse 13. He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Here's a George Cannon paraphrase. Who in the world can harm you if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, I'm going through some difficult... It's not feeling good right now, but yeah, but we're talking about ultimately. So here's the point. You have to recognize that no one can ultimately harm you. No one can ultimately harm you. Well, they're doing a pretty good job right now. No, no, yeah, but they're not going to win. They're not going to win, folks. 
Why? Because remember, you're only here what, folks? Because you're a pilgrim, a sojourner. You're only here what? Temporarily. There's something so much better what? Coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something so much better coming. You're only here temporarily. You know what? In fact, let's liken it to this, okay? How many of you love going to the dentist? Do you love going to the dentist? How about that? How, about, how many of you? Okay, Rhonda's shaking her head yes, because she works for a dentist, okay? All right. So Rhonda, just don't listen to what I'm saying, okay? But listen to my other points. We don't like going to the dentist. Why? Because it's painful, especially when he gets in there and he's drilling something, all right? Doing that root canal. You know what the wonderful thing about that is? Is that you know eventually it's only going to be, it's only for the what? Moment or the hour or the day. But then afterwards it's what? It's done, right? It's done. It's only for the moment. See, this is what he's trying to say to you. He's trying to say to you, you need to have the perspective that what you're going through, you need to get a bigger perspective, think beyond the moment, because we only think for the moment, right? We need to think beyond the moment and realize that what we're going through is only for the moment because nobody can ultimately harm you. Even if they kill you, it's not over because you're going to be with who, folks? Jesus. Jesus. So the first thing he tells us about perspective here is is you've got to grasp the reality that no one can ultimately harm you. In fact, verse 14 takes it one step further. Here's what you need to grasp. This flies right into the face of that first thing I told you about when we were caught off guard that God's mad at us. Look at what it says, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. What? Here it is. In spite of suffering as a believer, you're blessed. In spite of suffering as a believer, you're blessed. In spite of whatever it is that you're going through right now that you don't know how to get through it, in spite of the pain that's coming from whatever the situation is that you're going through, in spite of what the doctor told you and what the prognosis is, you don't need to worry because you are blessed. What do you mean I'm blessed? I'm going through this difficulty. You don't understand. If I'm blessed, why is my wallet empty and I've got this big, huge bill that I'm going through right now, George? Why am I blessed if they're telling me I've got something that I can't overcome health-wise? What do you mean I'm blessed? You're blessed because you're only here what? Temporarily. You're blessed because your hope is where? Somewhere else. You're blessed because you have who? Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus. You're blessed. You need to recognize that. So, all right, all right, so let's back up here. So when I'm going through it, and okay, are we all go, we're going through stuff, right? And we're going to go through stuff. We're going to go through heartache and pain. We're going to go through difficulties and struggles. We're going to have people who respond to us in a negative way because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to suffer. So when we're in the midst of the suffering and we're in the midst of the difficulty, here's the perspective you've got to keep. 
Nobody can harm you. Nobody can ultimately harm you. And number two, listen to me, that in spite of all that's going on, you are what, folks? You're blessed. You're blessed because of Jesus. So how do we respond? He's going to tell us four things that I think are very interesting. Four things about how you're to respond to the stuff that happens in your life. Okay? Here's the first one. Look with me, verse 15. He says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Here's what you got to do. Number one, you must set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts. You must set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now you say, whoa, 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 hold on a second, George. Wait a minute, hold on. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about going through difficult circumstances. And, and, and the first thing, okay, I got the perspective that nobody can ultimately harm me. And I got the perspective that I'm blessed. Okay, so what in the world is he meaning here? I mean, what's what's he talking about here? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What's he talking about? Setting apart the Lord. What, what does that mean? Because I'm going through it right now. What does that mean? All right, let me tell you what it means. Let me, first of all, set it up, and we'll get to the meaning. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the last thing, or maybe it's the thing that you're going through right now. I want you to think about the last thing that was traumatic in your life that you were going through that was really whooping you. That you were struggling with. The last thing that seemed so overwhelming. The last thing or the current thing that just seems like there is no way that you could overcome it. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about how your heart was during that moment. And I'm going to, let me, can I tell you some things that probably was going on in your life at that moment? Because I know, because it goes through in my life. Here's what was going through in my heart as I was facing that thing or that situation in my heart. Here's the first word, unbelief. So you start questioning. Remember, I mentioned some of the questions we say is, are you mad at me, God? Are you mad at me, God? Uh, do you love me? Here's the other one. Do you love me? God, can you, here's the other one. Can you really take care of this? And so your heart becomes what? Divided by the struggles and the difficulties that are going on in your life. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Your heart becomes divided with the wrestling of unbelief and, and doubts and, and, and fear. That's another one, right? Fear. Isn't that real when we're going through it? We're afraid. We're so afraid. God, can you really do this? God, do you really love me? Now, do you understand what James says in James chapter 1 when he talks about count it all joy when you go through the difficulties? And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But if you are double-minded, don't expect anything. That's what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about that when we're in the midst of it, we have a tendency to be what? James calls it double-minded. How about we call it double-hearted here? We have a tendency to be double-hearted in that we're wrestling with whether or not he's going to help us through the stuff that we're going through 
or whether or not he's God. And so Peter comes along and the first thing he says is, when you're going through it, you know nobody's going to hurt you. You know you're blessed. So guess what, folks? Set him as the one who he is in your heart that he's God and he can handle anything. That's what he's talking about here. All right, let's stop for a moment. All right. How many of you have gone through something or going through right now? You've either gone through something or you're going through something. Raise your hand. Everybody should have their hand up, right? Okay. All right. So let me ask you a question. Here's the thing. Is God big enough to handle your issue? Is God big enough to handle your issue? Now what he says here is, when you set him, sanctify him as the Lord in your life, you are basically acknowledging that, yes, God, you can do it. It's an act of faith. Sanctifying here, setting him apart in your life as Lord, is saying, I believe you, God. I believe you to take care of this problem. I believe you to take care of that loved one. I believe you to take care of that enemy in my life. I believe you to take care of that cancer or that disease that's happening. I believe you that nothing is beyond you, Lord. You are the Lord of my life. You are the one who can handle this because I'm your child. You're not mad at me. No one can harm me. I am blessed because I have you. That's what he's saying here. Our first response is to set him up as the ultimate authority in our life, in our hearts. He's got to begin there, doesn't he? Because if he doesn't begin there, we're going to be what? Like on the, you know, like I like going to the beach. What do you like about the beach, George? Just being tossed around by the waves. And that's what we're going to be like if we don't set him up. If we don't grab a hold of the firm foundation in our lives. Here's the second thing. Second thing he says to us comes out of verse 15. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. He says you must always be ready to share the hope of Christ with others. Okay, what does that got to do with anything? I mean, I understand what you were saying, George, about about setting him up as the Lord in my life because, yeah, I can be double-minded. Yes, I can be double-hearted. Yes, I do wrestle with doubts and fears. Okay, so I grasp that point. What's this second one got to do with anything? Now he's telling me to be ready to tell others about Jesus? What does that got to do with suffering? It's got everything to do with suffering. Because here's the normal reaction to suffering in our world. Ah! Isn't that the normal reaction? You see it on the news, right? Isn't that how everybody else in Toronto? Ah! But if you have the perspective that he wants you to have and you're setting him up as Lord in your life, that he can handle it, guess what kicks over in your life? What does he say? Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So guess what? There you are. You're going through it. Everybody, and does everybody know that you're going through it? You better believe it. People know you're going through it. And they see 
why is that not rattling him? Because it would rattle me. Why is he not crushed by that? Why is she not upset? And guess what? They ask you, what's going on that you're oblivious to what's going on with what's happening? You say, I'm not oblivious. Let me tell you what's going on. I have Jesus. This is why I have hope in the midst of what I'm going through. So you're ready to what? Share about your Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Share about your Jesus. To tell people, this is why I have hope, because I have Christ. This is the second thing he tells you. First one, set Christ up in your heart. Second thing, be ready to give in a defense of why you have hope in the midst of what you're going through. Let's look at the third one. Third one now. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when you do, you are defamed as evildoers, that those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Here's what he's saying. You maintain your integrity in spite of opposition. You, maintain, you must maintain your integrity in spite of opposition. See, here's the thing. Even in the midst of all that's going on, and especially some of the stuff we go through, there's always going to be a temptation to take matters into your own hands, right? And to do things that may not necessarily be right, that you wouldn't necessarily want to do in other circumstances, but because of what you're going through, you feel that you feel the compulsion that that's what you have to do because it's the only way that you can get through it. No, no, that's not the only way you can get through it. God will get you through it. So you maintain your integrity. You do what's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? You do what's right. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the doctor told you. I don't care what the bill is. I don't care what that dude at work is doing to you. You maintain your integrity. You have to do that. That's what he's saying here. In spite of the opposition. In spite of the difficulty. In spite of the suffering. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? When you look at the world that will do whatever it takes to take care of its problems. Then finally, look with me at verse 17. He says this, verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Here's the final thing I want you to see about our response. It is better to suffer for doing what is right than doing what is wrong. It's better. Okay, let's stop for a moment, okay? All right, let's... Let, oh, man, George... Okay, up to this point you got me, but I don't want to suffer. Right? Everybody agree with that? How many of you agree with that statement? I don't want to suffer. Right? Okay. All right, I already told you you're going to. Because that's life. Right? Hard times come, whether you expect them or not. They come. So what's Peter saying here? Peter says, look, it's better to suffer for doing what's right then suffer for doing what's wrong. If you're going to suffer, better to suffer for what? For doing what's right. That's what you got to do. So you maintain your integrity and you do what is the right thing to do because God calls you to do what is the right thing. He's the Lord of your life. You already set him up as the Lord of your life. You have your hope in him. So it's better to do what's right, Peter says, and suffer than do what's wrong and suffer. 
You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, this is just the beginning, because we get into chapter 4, he's got a whole lot more to say about this, but I'm going to give you two things to think about today, because we really need to process this, because here's what we're going to do. If we're going to be sojourners, if we're going to be pilgrims who are here temporarily, you and I need to develop a theology of suffering. We need to have a perspective of life, because let's be honest, life does happen. Life is not perfect, and number two, God's not mad at you. It's just life. So how do I deal with it? Well, here's two things I need you to think about. First of all, you have to consider how you're responding to the suffering in your life. you got to consider how you're responding. What? Yeah. Think about what you're going through right now. Think about what you just went through. And I want you to think about how you responded to it. And some of the responses are, God, you're mad at me. God, you don't love me. God, you don't care for me anymore. This, that, and other. And you've got these wrong views of God that are popping up in your brain because of what you're going through. And the fact of the matter is, is that nobody is exempted from hurting in this life. Did you hear me? Write that down. Nobody is exempted from hurting in this life. You need to grasp that point. So you've got to recognize, you've got to consider how you're responding to suffering in your life. Here's the second thing. Recognize that you're not alone. Because the Lord watches over you. Recognize that. You're not alone. In fact, if you need the verse, go back with me to verse 12. We didn't look at it today. We looked at it last week, but it sets up what we're talking about here in verse 13 through 17. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. You're not alone. He is fully aware of what's going on in your life. He's fully aware of that difficulty and that struggle that you're going through. He's there with you in the midst of it. And he gives you grace and wisdom and strength. But your heart needs to be single focused on who? On Jesus and the hope that you have in him. Not divided. Not in a pity party. Not wondering if he loves you. But focused on him. So you've got to recognize that you're not alone. You're not alone. Let's pray.